I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Doctor, where are we? I'm glad you asked that, Graham. Let's see, office, mid-2000s, and that appears to be Russell T. Davies. Oh, I love his work. Exactly. Gotta be real careful not to interfere. This could be pivotal, and in no way can you... Oh. What? Look, very carefully peek over and read the title page. All right, here we go. Uh, love and monsters. Here. A box of matches? Burn it. But what, what happened quickly, to... Quickly, quickly! Hey! That's me stuff! Run, Graham, run! We'll be remembered as heroes! Hello everyone, welcome to another piping hot episode of The Doctor Is In. I'm Paul Verhoeven and I'm here to ferry you through an absolute ocean of content. This week on Doctor Who, on the telly, the Doctor and her crew visit Alabama in 1955 and they meet Rosa Parks. But in this week's The Doctor Is In, we'll be taking a look at the shining beacon of absolute wonderment that is Donna Noble as played by Catherine Tate. Um, we talk with host, broadcaster and founder of Geek Bomb, Maud Garrett, live from Hollywood, California. But first... Whose news is it anyway? First up in Doctor Who news, Jodie Whittaker has set a record. Now, Jodie's debut as the 13th Doctor attracted record audiences for a Doctor's first episode in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. The previous highest series launch episode for Doctor Who was in 2005 with Chris Eccleston, which attracted, I think, 10.8 million. I mean, I say I think to make it sound like I'm smart, as if I'm coming up with those figures off the top of my head. I'm looking at the notes I've taken. That's just a peer behind the commando. Anyway, this episode was watched by 10.9 million viewers, which makes it the highest Doctor Who series opener since the show was relaunched in 2005. And speaking of highest Doctor Who series opener, several friends of mine who don't watch the show have commented that the opening credits of the new series made them feel like they were on something, which I think is a compliment. Next, we have some space news. Now, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, that's NASA's proper name, again... I didn't know that, I had to look that up, has just announced um, a group of new Gamma Ray star configurations and they've brought in some inspiration from, you know, various pop culture properties and science to help them decide names. And luckily for fans of Doctor Who, that includes a Doctor Who reference. According to Radio Times, the TARDIS is being used to describe one of these newly discovered unofficial constellations. It was recently unveiled by NASA to celebrate 10 years of activity for the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope. I'm just annoyed at the wasted potential here. They should have waited till they discovered a black hole and named that the TARDIS. I mean, not only is an exploding star turning into a black hole the source of all TARDIS's power, but, you know, black holes are bigger on the inside. I think. I really do know nothing about science. And finally, some J.K. Rowling news. Speaking at New York Comic Con, Chris Chibnall said, if J.K. Rowling wants to have... Is it Rowling or Rowling? Rowling... It can't be Rowling. It's like a Limp Bizkit lyric. 
JK Rowling. If JK Rowling wants to have anything to do with Doctor Who, please give her my phone number. I think she is one of our greatest writers. I think Harry Potter is an absolute transcendent piece of work and continues to be with the theatre play and the Fantastic Beasts. JK Rowling. Damn it, I did it again. Rowling. Rowling? I'm going to have to go Rowling. You guys don't need to hear this. J.K. Rowling is a genius, and if she ever wants to see what we do on Doctor Who, you tell her from me, the doors are open. No, Chris. Chris Chibnall, how about you tell her? Because every time I call her to tell her this, she's apparently out of the office. And sir, would you please stop calling? It's 3 a.m. Anyway, that's all the time we have for news, so let's plow on to our interview with host, broadcaster, and founder of Geek Bomb, Maud Garrett. So, Maud, uh, I guess the first thing to ask you, um, apart from... The it's own... really good to talk to you again, by the way. Yes! It's been so long. I'm glad that we're bonding again, because we used to host a long time together, and we used to chat about games a lot. So, this is fun that we get to geek out again, Paul. Your perspective on Jodie Whittaker is particularly interesting, because we had her on the first episode of this season of The Doctor Is In, and she was amazing. She's great. But I didn't, get to, I didn't get to be in her actual physical presence, whereas could you just tell listeners what you did? Because I think it's kind of huge. Um, well, uh, I guess it kind of started off at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, I sat down and interviewed her for 45 minutes, um, oh. having not seen the episode at all, so it was truly just like a lot of tease talk. Yeah. Um, but I got to know her as a person, so we hung out a lot before that. And I think um, we were talking, she's like, oh, you're not from America either, are you? And I'm like, no, God, no. I said, you know, we're talking about the differences between living overseas and then, you know, spending time in America. And I was just like, you know what? It's like my language has had to change a lot because America is very PC. And I have this theory that in Australia, everyone's offensive, no one's offended. But in America, no one's offensive and yet everyone's offended. So I've had to completely change my sense of humor, what's what's appropriate. And she's just like, oh, I miss the C word so much. I miss saying it. I love it. And I'm like, same. <laughs> I've ended conversations using it. She's like, you yeah. just can't say it in this country. And I was like, hey, hey, that's an in-joke and a pun and you didn't even mean it. Um, so as soon as we had, had that, we shared that moment, I was like, man, this chick is awesome. Like you would smash a beer with her. Like she's just yeah. Yeah, that's that kind of setting. She's a real person. She's wow. just so genuine and lovely and very open. Um, so, yeah, we had that chat and she was like, you know, superb, superb. And then New York Comic Con comes around and um, not only is the first episode coming out and a production company hits me up saying that they want me to host the ultimate Doctor Who watch party, uh. which is um, a big party in a Brooklyn house with a bunch of fans hyping up the, the fact that we've got a new season and a new doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also hosted the post show with, um, I think, four, six different Doctor Who sort of like celebrities or, or personalities where we hmm. digested the episode. And then after that, I was able to host the um, the Doctor Who panel at New York Comic Con with Jodie, Chris Chibnall, ah! the show, um, and then the executive <laughs> producer, um, Matt Strevens. So... That was all in the space of about two weeks. It was a it was a lot. Those two shows. That's a whirlwind. That's really that's a that's a big deal. And I think. Do you think that not having seen the episode with Jodie in it helped you just calm down enough to actually talk to her like a human being? Yeah, yeah. And then the second time, like I had to sign a bunch of NDNA, uh, NDNAs. <laughs> NDAs. Um. It's Doctor NDNA. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to sign a lot of paperwork because I was one of the first people in the world to watch watch it. And I actually saw it twice before we did the, the party. 
um, so that we're able to, to talk about it. Um, and I'd love to go into sort of my first thoughts and first impressions of the episode. But then I got to watch it for a third time live with hundreds of people in, this, in the um, auditorium audience at New York Comic Con as well. And that was next. I was sitting next to Jody and her husband watching that. Oh man, isn't that weird? Sitting like, what was her? What was she like? What was her behavior like sitting there? She was really overwhelmed. You? Yeah. yeah, she was. She was when we started the panel. She was visibly emotional. So she sure. was like tearing up. She's basically like, don't. I, I actually need to collect myself. Stop asking me questions. So I had to kind of like change the tone of the room because it was just so. Oh. It's like you could just feel this wave of emotion and support yeah. and, you know, positivity. And it was just a lot. Yeah. So I had to be like, all right, jokes. <laughs> um, mm. But uh, agree or disagree, do you think that this new ragtag team um, and the first episode especially um, being in Sheffield and a lot of it's at night time, yeah. did it give you Buffy vibes? It did feel a little bit gothic, small town, you know, doom and gloom. And also having a bunch of, again, a bunch of mates solving a problem together. Yeah, it was a little bit Buffy-ish, although it didn't have Whedon's kind of, it wasn't flippant at all. It was very, but it also wasn't grimdark. The tone was really interesting. I think, mm. um, I've never been to Sheffield, but I get the impression it's, it's not the most glamorous place. And it was really yeah. interesting taking something that is like, you literally fall from the stars and end up in Sheffield. Like that yeah. is an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting gear shift. What, what did you think of the, of the dynamic of going from, okay, so you've got a besotted young female companion and a doctor with floppy hair and eyes that look like they were cut from the heart of a, of a diamond, like going from that to going to, you know, a doctor and a bunch of, a bunch of mates running around, you know, what, what, did you did you enjoy the new group dynamic as you saw it? Um, I was a really big fan of Mandip Gill, who plays Yaz. Uh, there's mm. something about her that I, um, and I noticed the women in the in the show they walk towards danger when the guys walk away from it. Yeah. Um, and I thought I really really kind of liked that dynamic. I think that when you compare Ryan, who's kind of like, you know, steadfast, he's he's thinks before he acts in a way. Yeah. Um. And then you've got um, Mandip or Yaz, who is a lot more thought-based and up for an adventure. And then yeah. Graham, who's kind of like all of us, really. Who's just like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, I love him. yeah, isn't he great? Do you know the yeah. story about um, Graham, the Bradley Walsh? Bradley no. Walsh. Bradley Walsh. Bradley. I want. I want to say Bradley Walsh, but I think Bradley Walsh is a. Uh, it's Bradley something. Yeah, Bradley. We'll get it. We'll get it. Bradley um, post. But he started off as a professional football player, as in soccer, like in the yeah. eight, 70s, I, I think. And then he went into um, acting. And then he even hosted Wheel of Fortune and game shows for like, you know, decades of his career. Went back yeah. into acting. I think he did like a Law and Order SVU type of show in the UK. Oh. Um, and now he's on Doctor Who. So he's kind of like, oh, and in the last couple of, I think last year, he put out a Christmas album and it got number one. No! So it's like, you've got Love Actually is like, what's his name? Bill, who can't use the last two. Bill Nye. It is, no, but it's Bill Nye, the science guy. Is it Bill Nye or something? It's like a... Oh, okay. Yeah. Bill yeah. Nye, yeah. So it's like, that's a little bit of Bradley's real life and apparently he's a huge prankster. He gets along well with everyone. He's like, he's a dude. Like, he's just awesome. I've so, heard that. And also, he... um. Apparently, he was at a charity football match uh, 
when he'd been offered the role, but he wasn't going to say yes because he was pretty much done with acting. And he was playing with Ray Winston, who was like, mate, you got to do it. you got to take the role. And so Ray Winston talks Bradley back into acting and makes wow. him say yes to the role, which is great because if you just like take Ray Winston's characters, all of them, and dial them back about 50%, You've got Graham. Like, that's, yeah. that's Graham. He's me. just so subtle and natural as an actor. I actually yeah. really, really love watching him. And that beautiful scene at the funeral, like, in the first episode, you're just like... Oh, it's beautiful, yeah. Oh, oof. Um, Ryan, oh, yeah. in real life, is a cheeky bugger. So I saw the um, San Diego Comic-Con, yes. and he's, like, answering questions and, you know, like, you know, making jokes about things, maybe not taking it as seriously. And I thought that that was really interesting. Really. Um, he comes across so like buttoned down and respectable in the show, you know. No, nah, he's he's a cheeky boy. Interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. Um, so we were talking about Amanda Gill. Um, yes, from the show. Yeah. I love her character. I think she's absolutely fantastic. We've actually um, this is kind of a uh, kind of a tease for for this podcast, but um, she's going to be on a future episode. She's coming in to chat with me, so I'm super excited about that. She's great, and again, she has that thing that Martha had of like, oh, your job is really important, and yeah. you're going to, and I don't know whether this is like a sideways step for you, but like, because she's a cop, and that's a, that's a cop in a place like Sheffield cannot be easy, you know. But that's also, yeah, it's just, she's an asset. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think, you know, when you look at Bill Potts, he's like, well, I can make some mean chips for university cafeteria. Um, but she's like, she's like, look, I don't know anything, but I want to learn everything, you know? Yes. Yeah. Attitude. It's all about the attitude. If you're going to get in the time machine, you better be there to learn, to make an effort. Like pull your weight. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. How do you think you'd fare um, traveling through time? Do you think you'd have any like useful skills? Are there any eras in which you think you would be specifically well, suited for? Let's just say, Paul, for, for years now, I was convinced that my role in a zombie apocalypse would be um, the decoy where I would sacrifice myself so the rest of the group could live. That's sure. honestly the only purpose I thought that I could have until I realized I'm quite good at reverse parking, so maybe I could be the driver. Um, so I think I would – I'd be down for an adventure. I get scared watching some of these episodes, so actually being in it for real would be yeah. – very tough. <laughs> you think you'd, I think you'd adapt pretty quickly to the basic premise of scary things exist, right? Like, I think well, once you'd seen one monster, you've seen them all, maybe. Well, maybe? No, because they do different things, very I'm much so. Like, one of them. their face, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of times. Well, I, I kind of like how the Doctor will always sort of humanise a monster, where it's like, oh, no, they're just upset because, you know, they're a soul that can't move on and we've just got to do this thing to set them free. And you're like, oh, yeah. that actually sounds lovely. <laughs> um, we're all doing a good thing today. Yeah. But in terms of how it goes, I would actually probably trust the doctor pretty quickly and it's just like, all right, you're in charge, you're the leader. Whatever you need, bark an order and I'll have to get it done. So I think I would be a good teammate. Okay. Okay, yeah. is there anyone you would feel particularly, given the new dynamic of having a bunch of people around, not just one-on-one, -on -one, like, who would you yeah. draft? Who would you draft? Who's, what's your fantasy draft for the, uh, for, the, for the TARDIS? Okay, so would I be the Doctor? Or no, you're, select the Doctor? You're, like, I'm the main a... companion. You're, like, the main companion. Oh, you know what? No, screw it. You're the Doctor. Okay, you're the Doctor. Well done. Congratulations. You're, oh. you're, the, you're the new thank Doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. All right. Um... <laughs> Uh, my three. I could be any person on this walking planet. Yeah, sure. God. Does anyone have actual superhero powers? 
No, I think what you want is like ev- everyday working Joes who have sort of a mechanic or a builder. Oh. Yep, sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Someone that actually figures out like, mind you, I'm the doctor. I mean, if if I can make a new um, sonic screwdriver out of Sheffield steel, like, <laughs> I can yeah, do I it. think that. That is an interesting point of like, well, there's not much stuff the doctor the doctor can't do. So what you're effectively going for is people that will keep you keep your morale up. Yeah. Because you've been around so long that like, let's face it, depression is a real possibility. If you've been right. in space for, you know. Uh, I'm going to be real shallow here and say I want one of the companions to be like a successful male model because if I'm going to be going everywhere, may as well look at something pretty. Okay, sure. I mean, you can get like it doesn't have to be a male model. What you, I, I mean, I would go for somebody handsome who is also like interesting, right? You know, you just um, I, by that rationale, why not just fill the TARDIS with hot people and just just take your pick? I only need one. Um, you know, I'm not Vegas can't be choosers. One's great. And yeah, you're right. If they had an additional skill set, well, like lucky gal. Um, but yeah, you need sort of like one that's a good communicator. Um, and it's level-headed, and it's like yep. the mediator. So, like, you know, if things go a little bit tough, they can sort of step in and calm everyone down. Um, the pretty person. And because I'm sure, like, char- charisma gets you out of a lot of situations. I play Dungeons and & Dragons, and high charisma comes in handy. Absolutely. You can talk your way out of almost anything. Yep. Uh, and then the last one, I don't know. I reckon someone that has a bit of kung fu, a bit of martial arts, a bit of black belt, a bit of... Okay. All right, yeah. so why don't you just get someone who's really charismatic, can, you know, kick butt and also looks amazing and just... Oh, my look. God, I love Jackie Chan and he's my it, companion. Oh, my God, Jackie Chan. Oh, he's my God. So are charismatic. you charismatic. I've interviewed him. What? Yes. So hang on. He's are so you going, great. Are you going present-day present Jackie Chan or, yes. like, uh, Present day. No, nah, he's present sick. Day, right? He's still cool. I was talking about the Lego movie and he did like a scene in it where um, he was working alongside a kid and he's like, never work with children. <laughs> this kid had no idea. We had to do take after take. He wasn't even paying attention. And I'm like, you're just absolutely ripping this child actor a new one in my interview. Well, yeah, you need Jackie. Okay, so it's so now it's you and Jackie Chan in the TARDIS. Done. I would, I would watch oh that show. Oh my God, I'm so excited for it. Oh my God, <laughs> a time mod. And... Points for diversity. Thanks for coming. He's a legend. I'll do. I'll do what I can. You can't see my victory dance, but it's impressive. I can cut. No, I mean I can see it, but listeners yeah. can't see it. I'll just. It's it's very angular, basically. <laughs> Look, um, Maud Garrett, you have been an absolute delight. Please let's let's catch up more often. All right. I know that would be lovely. I'll come back on the show whenever you want. Please do. All right. Well, you got to run, but I'll uh, I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> and now it's time for companion piece. There are no companions, none whatsoever, who reach the frankly dizzying heights of Donna Noble. Yeah, I said it. I mean, like a few come close, but most fall staggeringly short. Donna Noble was the perfect companion for Doctor Who. Let me explain why. Now, Donna was a working class temp. I don't know if any of you have ever worked as a temp. Uh, You sign up with an agency and you get shipped off to various, like very unglamorous jobs and she hopped from job to job she worked at a library she worked at a glazing firm you know she she just hung out with her mates and just sort of lived life on a fairly low-key scale she put up with a domineering mother and eventually she met this guy who said he'd marry her which you think is good right well no because he turned out to be working with a giant spider alien and you know she got her heart broken her fiance thought she was thick 
You know, he thought she was ordinary. The doctor, though, at this point, was plowing through one of his nihilistic streaks, and he saw her for what she was. And, you know, they helped each other out very briefly. She called him on his BS and reined him in, and so he did what the doctor typically does, and he asked her to come with him and have adventures. And she had the rare instinct of self-care and presence of mind to say no, which is a big deal for somebody who has, frankly, been trampled on their whole life. Later, though, Donna ended up working at a company that was harvesting fat from people and boiling it down to form little sentient fat creatures for a space nursery. You know, that old chestnut happens to people who work as temps all the time. And the doctor showed up to investigate. And this time, Donna was ready. But before she loaded her bags uh, to move into the TARDIS, she almost broke the fourth wall. And she told the doctor there wasn't going to be any funny business. And he told Donna, and therefore us, that he just wanted a mate. And after seasons and seasons of will-they-won't-they sexual tension and rebounds with Rose and, you know, Martha, this was like a breath of fresh air for viewers. Mates in space, just hooning around and saving people and having adventures. You see, Donna Noble was ordinary, but also completely not ordinary, because her directness and bravery ran completely contrary to where she came from and how she was raised and what people thought of her in the, in the outside world. Her grandpa, Wilfred, was an exception. He was a stargazer who kind of imbued her with a sort of like a cosmic wanderlust, but she didn't have any specific skills and she'd been talked down to and underestimated her entire life. And to surpass everyone else's expectations as well as her own was what made Donna really, truly great. You know, she had nowhere to go but up, and no one expected her to go up, but she did. She... Let me just run off some of the things that Donna Noble accomplished, okay? She forced the Doctor into being compassionate once again on the eve of the eruption of Pompeii. Uh, She was instrumental in the liberation of the Ood. Oh, she met Agatha Christie, and they got along very well. She was trapped in a sentient library where she fell in love with a man, had a family... I'm pretty sure she lived like an entire lifetime and then she had the whole thing just taken away from her and she bounced back from that. She lived through a parallel timeline. Oh, so she's living through this parallel timeline in which the Doctor dies and then she saves the world by making this single tiny choice. I think she turns left. I think the episode might actually be turned left. Anyway, the, the thing about Donna is anyone great can do great things. It's in their nature. It's expected of them. Every great thing Donna did loomed over her like this insurmountable mountain, and she climbed it every single time without fail. Eventually, and this doesn't happen to most temps, eventually she absorbed Time Lord energy and became a Doctor Donna hybrid, and she would have burned up and died if the Doctor didn't erase her memories. And that's the shocking tragedy of Donna Noble. She lives, and she lives happily with a husband and money from a rigged lottery ticket courtesy of the Doctor, but she'll never remember what she did or what she saw. Um, And I'm still torn on whether that was fair or whether that was the right thing to do. I mean, the Doctor did actually go and talk to her mother and tell her that part of the reason he thinks that Donna turned out the way she did is because her mum never fostered her talents and never told her how special she was. And he said, maybe you should do that more often. And Wilfred, Wilf, um, gorgeous Wilf, her granddad, who the 10th Doctor you know, died and regenerated because of, because he wanted to save this beautiful man's life. Um, Wilf knows, and Wilf knows what's Don, what Donna's capable of, and, and, and these two parent figures will be able to watch over Donna, but I still don't know whether it was fair. I'm still torn. And I hope that in the upcoming Big Finish series with Tennant and Catherine Tate back together again, maybe they retcon that, you know, but that could be wishful thinking on my part. Oh, and one more thing about Donna. Donna was 
in a way, responsible for the appearance of the Doctor's 12th incarnation uh, when she convinced him to save the family from the Pompeii episode, right? So the Doctor took on... Caecilius was the character's name. The Doctor took on Caecilius's face to remind himself of Donna's plea to him to always save someone no matter what. So in a way, the Donna is responsible for the entire Capaldi run, which, you know, is mostly a very good thing. Now, I don't know who we're going to be looking at next week, but what I would love is if you can tweet at me, at Paul Verhoeven or at TDIIPod, and if you have anybody, any any companions from Doctor Who's run that you want me to talk about in Companion Piece, please send me your recommendations. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to be Rose Tyler. I am absolutely gutted, but that's all the time we have for this week's episode. But a very, very special announcement uh, on next week's episode of The Doctor Is In, I will be talking with Mandip Gill, who plays Yas on this season of Doctor Who. I'm really excited because I've obviously been doing this companion piece segment every episode. And uh, last week, I talked with Janet Fielding, who played Tegan from the classic Doctor Who run. But next week, I get to talk to a to a like a, a modern Doctor Who companion, which is going to be really exciting. And she's so great on this new season of Doctor Who. So do be sure to tune in. Be sure to head across to the Doctor Is In dot show or to the Doctor Is In on iTunes to have a visit of you know some of the amazing guests that have been on the show before, including my interview with Jodie Whittaker um, a couple of weeks ago on this very podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I'll catch you all next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.